Greetings, every nation. Reimsuch. It is such a privilege and a pleasure to share the word with you. Uh, we are currently in this series about hope, infinite hope. And uh, I've got some thoughts to share around hope. And uh, the title of the word today is going to be Cosmic Hope. Uh, just before we start in the word, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord God, thank you for this time that we get to spend together. We thank you that you're here with us. Uh, we pray that your word would go out uh, in power. Uh, use my words. Use your word, God. Uh, speak to your people. Encourage your saints in this time, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, uh, I'm going to be looking at this uh, topic of cosmic hope, pulling it out of the book of Colossians. Now, just a little background on the book of Colossians. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul with the assistance of his trusty sidekick, Timothy. And it's believed that they, were, they wrote uh, this particular epistle while they were in prison, while Paul was in prison in Rome. And, uh, the, you know, the amazing thing about the church, because he was writing to the church in Colossae, and uh, the amazing thing about the church in, in Colossae was that it wasn't actually planted by Paul himself. Uh, Paul had planted the church in Ephesus, and out of the church plant in Ephesus, a man or a disciple by the name of Epaphras then went off 200 kilometers from Ephesus and into Colossae and planted this particular um, church plant. And, uh, and so when I even just think about that, just, you know, how, how Paul must have just swelled up with courage and, uh, and pride and just, you know, and, and just worship and praising God, even though he was in chains in prison, in just hearing, man, hey, a work that he started in one place then kind of was taken and transplanted into another place, into another city altogether by another believer who got the foundations, who got the heart of the gospel and said, hey, let me take this gospel to a different city. And so I can imagine when Paul is writing this letter, as much as he's writing about different things and issues within the church in Colossae, but I can just imagine just the... You know, just the pride, the pride, I guess, you know, and just saying, man, the gospel, even though I'm in chains, man, the gospel is alive. And, uh, and so even when they begin, when he begins writing this, uh, this, this, uh, this uh, epistle to these, this, this letter to these guys, uh, he's gotten word from Epaphras, uh, you know, that, hey, listen, things are happening in this community. This community is buzzing. It is bubbling with just gospel life. And one of the things that he's heard reports and given reports of, and he, and he, and he speaks about it in, 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 in this chapter 1 of Colossians, is that these guys have grown in faith, in faith in Jesus Christ. They've grown in faith and also they've grown in love, in love for one another. So again, Paul is, is, has heard these reports um, amongst other reports with what's happening in Colossae, and then he begins to pen uh, this apostle. And so today, I just want us to, to speak about this hope, just taking some passages of Scripture out of Colossians 1. And so again, Paul is, is, uh, is reflecting on what he's heard, and now he's beginning to write uh, to, to, to these epistle to these uh, Colossians, and uh, this church in Colossians, and uh, he begins by praying for them. 
You know, and again, you know, I think of Paul and I think, man, this wasn't again a work that he started, but this was a work that someone else took and, and planted. And so Paul, as an apostle now, begins to, to pray for this congregation that he's never known, he hasn't met, but he just knows, man, Christ is alive in this community. And, uh, and, and he goes before them and he begins to, to pray for them. And, and when I think of him praying in verse 9, and he's praying for this congregation, I think of our congregations at this moment. I think of you as a congregation at this moment, uh, you know, distanced from your leaders, distanced from, from, you know, I guess normal preaching, normal connections, normal interactions that you would have as a gospel community. And I, and I would imagine that these are the prayers that your leaders are praying for you right now. Because uh, these are the prayers that, that we are praying for, con- praying uh, over the congregations in Joburg. These are the prayers that we are praying for all believers across the world as we have this, this disconnect in the season that we find ourselves in right now. And so as he's praying for them, he's praying for them that I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of God. Would you be filled with the knowledge of the will of God? Be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Would you just be filled with God's word? That's where we find God's design and and desire for us and and his will for us. That even in this moment, in this time, we are growing in our knowledge of who God is and what God wants for us. That we be filled with that in this hour. And then he prays that, I pray that you live a life that is worthy of the Lord. Man, as, as people see your lives right now, even in this moment of trial and hardship, that they would see God reflected in how you respond and how you act and how you walk and how you talk and how you live your life as a whole. And that's, that's a prayer that we would all live a life that is worthy of the Lord. And then he prays, oh man, that you would live a life that is pleasing to God. Man, may, may your life just radiate the sweet aroma of who God is. A life that is just simply pleasing. That in everything that you, that you do and everything that you go about, man, your sole purpose and desire is to please God. Is to please God. Man, may, may, may that be who you are right now in line with Paul's prayer to the Colossians. And, and then he continues to pray, may you be, bear, be bearing fruit in every good work. As you seek to please God, as you seek to stay in God, as you seek to, to abide in Him, as you seek to, 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 to pursue His will, may you bear fruit in every good work. As, as God promises us that everything that we would lay our hands to would bear fruit, would prosper. And so even in this hour where it's so dark and it's so dim for many people, that even in this hour we would be those that are bearing fruit as we stay connected and plugged into the Father. May that be our testimony as we pray that over you, just as Paul prayed over the Colossians. And then he continues to pray that you would be growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. Man, that even in this hour, (laughs) we're seeking after the Father, getting to know more of who He is, His nature, 
what he does and what he doesn't do and amidst all the noise in this world telling us, hey, God is doing this right now or God is doing that right now. But for us to know who God truly is, that we would grow in the knowledge of who he is. And then in verse 11, he begins to kind of change the, the tone or the stride of what he is saying. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. And it kind of changes the tone of just saying, listen, guys, this is actually a marathon. We're not going to sprint this out. This is, a, this is a long distance thing. So he starts to speak about being strengthened. He starts to speak about having power from, from God and then, and then endurance just to hang in there, just to be patient. And being patient in God's strength and in God's might. And give at that same time whilst being patient, while, while, while uh, exercising endurance, is also giving thanks to God. Lifting our gaze up to God and giving thanks to God for all that, that He has done. You know, what are the, you know, one of the, the things, you know, I, I, I meet with guys and, and every week, you know, I say, guys, what are you, what are you grateful for? What has been a challenge for this? What has been a challenge this week? And what, you're, what are you grateful for? And I say, guys, you know, everyone has something to be grateful for. So, so whether maybe you had a financial breakthrough or maybe a family member came to faith or, you know, you were healed in some way or other. And if you don't have like one of those big uh, kind of sensational things to be grateful for, you know, you can always just be grateful that you know God. And, uh, and, and that's what kind of Paul brings it down to. He says, man, we can always give thanks, give thanks for the redemption that we have in the Lord. So no matter where you are right now, no matter what situation or circumstance, man, we can just turn to the Lord and just give thanks. Give thanks, whether it's something that God has done, whether it's a prayer that's been answered, even if none of those things have happened right now, but you just give thanks for the redemption that we have in the Lord, just to give thanks to Him for that. That's something to give thanks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so that's where, where Paul's prayer ends for the church in, in Colossae. One of the things that Paul is addressing in the church is that, you know what, whenever there's like a good thing happening, so there's this awesome gospel community that has come out of nowhere, that is brimming up and that's, that's just teeming with life. And then all of a sudden, always when there's a good thing happening, there's just something dodgy that happens. And so all of a sudden, there are these dodgy doctrines and heresies that have now crept into this community that's two years or so old. And Paul is now writing uh, to address some of these things. And, uh, and some of the things that were being challenged in this community was the deity of Christ. People were challenging, saying, hey, Jesus is not God. Actually, Jesus was just a good guy, uh, maybe with like superpowers, but Jesus was not God. So attacking the deity of who Jesus Christ was and is. And uh, the other things were, were kind of uh, special or 
or like extra knowledge that people were pursuing or seeking that was outside of the gospel. People were saying, look, the gospel is great. We hear the gospel. We receive the gospel, but the gospel isn't enough. It's the gospel and something else. And so you had legalism coming in. People would say, hey, yes, the gospel but you need the gospel and some Jewish traditions and, uh, and rituals that also need to be added to the gospel for you to truly receive salvation and redemption in Christ. Some would uh, uh, refer to mysticism where people would say, yes, we, we see Jesus, but there's also Jesus and angels that we need to worship and starting to get into names of angels, uh, whose angels are, are what and where and, and all this mysticism, this this mystical knowledge that people were then adding to the gospel. And then there was also asceticism, all these isms, asceticism where people were saying, look, uh, we see the gospel, we get the gospel, but we also need to add some sort of self-denial in this so that we could get to the next level of whatever it is the gospel is. So people would, would deny themselves food, would fast for days upon days upon days, believing that, man, if they did this, they would get to like the highest of, of highest of, of heavens. And, uh, and so, and added all these, these additional things and people would mutilate themselves again to, to, to add to the gospel and to seek after a, a greater revelation of who God is. And so Paul comes in and he begins to address these errors in doctrine. And he just goes straight away and, and he begins to squash this in, uh, in uh, Colossians 1.15. And, uh, you know, when I think of Paul addressing this in Colossians 1.15, it's like he just goes all in. He goes hard in and uh, into the truth. And I'm reminded of the scene. Uh, one of my favorite movies is uh, Black Panther. Uh, there's the scene. And if you don't know Black Panther, you're missing out. By the way, it is the highest grossing movie on the African continent. So you need to go see that movie. Anyway, in the scene, you have uh, Prince uh, T'Challa and he is battling his, uh, his, his, his one main rival, a guy called Mbakwe. And they're battling and they're fighting for the crown of who will be the king over Wakanda. And so this moment, uh, Mbaku, the nemesis, has got T'Challa down and, and, and manhandling T'Challa. And then in this moment when T'Challa is on his back with Mbaku's fist in his, in his chest, T'Challa's mother stands up and he says, Show him who you are. And then in that moment, all of a sudden, like courage rises up in T'Challa. And then he begins to shout, I am Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. And then he begins to turn the script on Mbakwe and begins to manhandle him. And eventually he, 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 be, he defeats him in that, in that moment. And I'm reminded of that in this moment because as people are confronting and challenging the deity of Jesus Christ, Paul begins to arise and just declare who Jesus is in 1.15. And he says, He is the image of the invisible God. Saying that Christ came as God in the flesh. We can't have access to God because God is immortal, invisible, dwelling in unapproachable light. But through Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father. And we know that what Jesus does is what the Father does. And we know that as we know Jesus, we get to know the Father. 
And uh, so he begins to proclaim it. He's the firstborn of all creation. That in fact, at the beginning of creation, Jesus was there. God spoke the word and Jesus was that word that went out and began to create everything. So he is the firstborn of creative, though he, creation, though he is not created himself. But he is the one that uh, did the, the bidding and the will of the Father in creating all of heaven and earth. And he says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Just saying that man creation was for Jesus. It was by Jesus. It is all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then he says, He is the beginning and the firstborn of the dead. For Christ was the first one to rise from the dead into new life, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent meaning above all, before all, at the top, at the, at the beginning, at the top. He is just basically boss. And that was like, Paul's mic drop moment of just saying, listen, guys, Jesus is, Jesus is everything. Jesus is God. Jesus is in all of creation, above creation. You guys are worshiping angels. Jesus is greater, mightier than all of that. In fact, Jesus is the one that created the heavens and the earth as the Father declared it and decreed it. And Jesus did his bidding and his will. And so in this moment, we have this idea of Christ being this Christ over all of creation, over all the cosmos. And the reality is, you know, right now in this moment, we find ourselves here, you know, in South Africa, in this little space, wherever it is that you're living right now, in your hood, in your suburb right now. And the reality is because we are here and we live in this place, it sometimes feels like, man, this is everything. Where we are, what we're experiencing is just everything. Like if our world is falling apart, then it means the whole world is falling apart. But here's the, the reality of it, as Colossians 1.15 is telling us, is that, you know what? Christ is holding all things together. Even in this moment, nothing can happen without Christ holding it together. So even in this moment with chaos and turmoil and economies going up and down and, and sickness and death and disease. Man, right now in this hour still, Christ is like this, holding our world together. That, that is who He is. And that is what Paul is communicating. He is God over all the earth. He's God over all the cosmos. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is supreme over all. Then Paul begins to slightly shift as he's penning this letter to the Colossians. And he begins to remind them what Jesus did through the gospel and translating them from one kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, all the way into a kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And then he, he, he sends out a warning to them. And he says, listen, guys, don't forget this gospel. Amidst all that has happened, don't forget this gospel. And he says, 
in Colossians 1.23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation. He's saying, listen, guys, we get to inherit these gospel promises. If indeed we just hang in there in faith, stable and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. He says, guys, listen, don't forget the gospel. Don't forget what you've been saved from and don't forget what you've been saved for. Don't forget this gospel. And so what is the gospel? And, and I, I'm going to go to one of my favorite passages of Scripture, again by Apostle Paul in Romans, where he boldly proclaims the gospel. I love the book of Romans as Paul just breaks down the gospel chapter after chapter. And so in, in, in Romans 1, Romans 1, 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He says, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So what is this righteousness of God. Righteousness is simply right standing or right relationship with God. Just perfect alignment, perfect communion, perfect community with God. And so what happened at the beginning is that God was in perfect alignment and community with man. And God said, hey, listen, guys, speaking to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of good and evil and disobey me, sin against me, then death will enter. And what happens? Our parents, Adam and Eve, did that. They disobeyed God and sin and death entered the world. And uh, as a result of that, because God is a holy God, God couldn't have sin in His presence. So God cast man out of His presence. And uh, in that moment, everyone, everyone that was actually born of Adam and Eve, our father Adam and Eve, was born with a sin nature. Romans 6 and 7 speaks about that. A sin nature which is basically a disposition towards sin or propensity to sin. So you're born as a sinner. So every one of us is born in the negative, uh, in the red. And uh, in fact, Rome, Paul writes about this in Romans 3. He says, actually, there is no one righteous, not even one, in all the world. No one righteous, not even one. And he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the amazing thing is that Right at that moment when man sinned, God put in motion a plan to restore relationship with man. That was God's doing. God was the one that pursued us. God is the one that relentlessly chased after us to restore this relationship. And so God, in His mercy, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, came as God in the flesh, God as man, to come to re reconcile God with man. Jesus Christ came into the, our world, uh, conceived of the Spirit of God, the incorruptible seed of the Spirit of God, and born of the Virgin Mary, so that He wouldn't inherit that uh, corrupt and sinful nature of Adam. He then began to live the life that we were supposed to live perfect, without sin, without spot, without blemish. He then died the death that we were supposed to die. On that cross, He took upon Himself our sin, our guilt, our shame. 
and then he, he, he was buried. And then on the third day, he rose again, proving that he was God because death could not hold him down. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Romans uh, 10, 9 tells us now, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him up from the dead, we are saved. What are we saved from? We are saved from eternal death. We are saved from eternal death and eternal separation from the Father. What are we saved for? We are saved for eternal life and eternal union and communion with the Father. The restoration of what we lost in the garden. And that is the gospel. That is the good news that we have to share. And this is the good news that Paul is admonishing the Colossians to stick to, to say, listen, the gospel is sufficient. You don't need anything else. You don't need to add anything else to it. In, in, in 123, and he says again, if indeed we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. If we inherit all this, if we will just continue. Again, it's that sense of a marathon of just hanging in there, persevering, holding fast to this gospel. Kind of like, like when the winds of life blow, like when you see a flag, you know, uh, tied to a mast. Just how it just hangs on there. No matter how hard the wind blows, it just kind of hangs on there. That's kind of like the sense that I get when Paul is saying, if we would just continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope that is in the gospel. So just hanging in there, holding in there. So one, one of the other problems that they had in, in Colossians, and especially the thing that, that caused all these isms, the legalism, the, the uh, ascentism, the mysticism, was, was that people were just seeking like extra knowledge, like the gospel just wasn't enough. And, and it's like even in today's society, where, you know, all of a sudden someone says, oh, have you read this book? There's this book that will take you deeper in the Lord. Or there was this book that was found that has been hidden from the church or been hidden from the, the people of God. This is, it will give you extra wisdom to, to really understand God, for you to reach up to the highest of the heavens. There's always something, some code, some book, some additional knowledge that people want. And as people, we all I think probably in our, in our sinful state, we all want to feel like we are extra special. And so when these things come out, we pursue these things. We pursue this additional knowledge and we stray away from the gospel. And again, the Colossians had also fallen into this trap. And Paul begins to address this and say, listen, guys, you're all looking for kind of like this hidden mystery, this hidden wisdom, this hidden knowledge uh, that, that people are speaking about. Now you're straying from the gospel truth. And, and Paul begins to, to bring them back to the gospel. And he says, listen, listen, in verse uh, 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 27, he says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Paul says, man, guys, you could search left and right for mysteries and hidden knowledge, but you know what? The greatest mystery in all of the universe and all of creation is just simply this idea of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what, what, what does that mean? I mean, this is something, again, that we I think if you've been in church long enough, you've heard that uh, over and over. And again, it's just a simple idea of just like, wow, man, we were in communion and in community with God and we sinned and we moved away from God. And then over history, over the ages, we see God constantly making a plan to draw nearer and nearer and nearer to us. It was Him pursuing us. We never pursued Him at all. God drawing nearer and nearer to us. All the way in Exodus, building the wilderness tabernacle. Another step closer to man. But even in that place, only one man could enter into God's presence once a year. And then again, we see God sending a son, Jesus Christ, to, to now not only be a tabernacle in a wilderness, but be a tabernacle in the midst of His people. To dwell in the midst of people, to walk in the flesh and to fellowship with people. And then we have the gospel message that as Jesus rose up from heaven, what did Jesus do? Uh, do? Jesus released the Holy Spirit, commissioned the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and into our lives. So now we had Jesus dwelling in us. And the Holy Spirit is just not God's presence is not just God, but the Holy Spirit is also a seal and a guarantee that we will be resurrected in new life and to inherit eternal life with Jesus Christ and eternal fellowship with God. That is who the Holy Spirit is. He's that seal to say, you know what, Langa, you belong to God. And no matter what happens in your life, that day where you, you die, you're not going to stay in that grave, but you're going to rise in, in resurrection power, just like Jesus rose on that third day. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is that same power that is living in us. And so we will rise again in new life, in new hope, and to enjoy eternal fellowship in a new heaven and a new earth with Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul says, man, this is the hope of glory. It's the hope of glory. Uh, Pastor Carroll uh, defined hope as the joyful expectation of a good future. The joyful expectation of a good future. Man, we have hope. The hope of glory. This joyful expectation that, you know what? It doesn't all end here for us. So no matter what is happening in our world today, it may feel like it's crumbling, but man, it doesn't end here because we have this joyful expectation of being raised from the grave, raised in new life to enjoy our God forever, for all eternity. That is the hope that we have, that hope of eternal glory. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And again, Paul is coming back just to the simple idea that Jesus is supreme, but also Jesus, through the gospel message, is sufficient. Jesus is enough. 
Now, the title of my message is Cosmic Hope. And that's simply because the one in whom we place our hope in is one that is greater than the world, is one that is over all the cosmos, is one that, that is not only over it, but the one that holds everything together. So we're in safe hands if we place our hope in Him. We're in safe hands if we trust in Jesus. No matter what's happening in our world, we know that Jesus truly holds our world together in His hands. So it's cosmic in that sense. But it's also cosmic hope in that we know that the hope that we have is not just for this world. It's so much greater than this world. We have so much to be hopeful for in this time, in this space, in this world right now, but we have infinitely more to be hopeful for because of what is still to come. And so this is a, a cosmic hope because the gospel itself is cosmic. And so I just want to end with a, a quote which I think really just captures this well by Matt Chandler. And it reads as follows. The context of the gospel message is not benefit or our salvation. The context of the gospel is the supremacy of Christ and the glory of God. This glory of the good news is personal, but it is also cosmic. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you that you truly hold our world in your hands. Thank you, Jesus, that you are over all. That you reign supreme over all. And Lord, I pray that in this hour you'd help us to lift our gaze beyond our world, beyond our current existence, beyond our current circumstances, and see that truly, God, you are in control. You are sovereign over all, Lord Jesus. You hold all things together. And right now you are holding all things together. May we take comfort in that, Lord Jesus. And then, Jesus, I pray that in this hour we would again turn our hearts and our gazes towards the gospel and see that what you did through your life, your death and resurrection was enough. It was truly finished. And not to be those that seek out more or seek additional knowledge, knowledge that would cause us to stray away from the simple truth of your gospel. Lord, may our, your gospel be front and center in our lives. May we pursue it. May we understand it. May we preach it. May we proclaim it. May we live it. And Lord, we come to you with hearts filled with gratitude, saying thank you, Lord, 
for the redemption that we are experiencing now and the redemption that is to come. Thank you for the hope that we can pursue and access now and the hope that is to come. We thank you for the deposit of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives for us to know that, yes, God, we'll be raised in new life, raised in new life in you to inherit eternal life and perfect fellowship with you forever. We thank you so much, Lord. Amen.